Welcome to Jyotish Conversations, a weekly series presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. Each week we feature a half-hour conversation with a leading practitioner of Jyotish, Vedic Astrology. Our goal is to make this ancient knowledge interesting, understandable, and somewhat less mysterious. So here's this week's show, and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Penny. Hi, Ben. How are you? Good, good. What's our topic for this week? Well, I thought we would um, complete this um, cycle of talks on how to map the heavens. Mm-hmm. It actually won't complete it, but <laughs> it'll give us um, uh, the last and very important uh, ingredient, which is we've now set up our either our North or South Indian chart. Mm-hmm. We now understand uh, that the Eastern... Um, horizon is the beginning of both of those charts and that they're represented in uh, in different ways. One is uh, Rashi-based, the other is Baba-based. Mm-hmm. And however we initiate the chart, uh, what inevitably happens is each little window of the sky, all of the directions, the 12 sections that we have defined, become linked to a star group, a constellation. Mm-hmm. And that gives us our 12 babas, or houses. And that sets up a kind of um, matrix, we could say, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, interpretive richness. Because each of these babas in the tradition has been linked with thematic material. Mm-hmm. So that gives us the set of our play, but doesn't say anything about the actors. What we could say then, if we want to use our play analogy, which is such a useful analogy that this um, Prabhupada karma is like the play we wrote, is by um, creating the North or South Indian chart with the Bhavas and the constellations. That's like the sets of our play, you know, ready to go. But what we haven't really discussed are the actors. How are the actors put into their roles. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about it from um, a couple of points of view. But practically speaking, when you look at a chart, and we have examples of North and South Indian chart of um, Einstein uh, up on the Pujanet site, you notice that there's a distribution of symbols. And those symbols scattered through the bhavas, in different Rashis are, in fact, the Navagrahas. If you count them up, you'll find it's Nava. <laughs> it's nine. Now, some um, people that call themselves Neo-Vedic astrologers uh, use the outer planets, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Traditionally, that's not done. And really, in some sense, other Grahas take up the kind of function that uh, these outer planets would in uh, interpretively speaking, there's not a need to use them. And since they are not uh, defined or mentioned or interpreted in Shastra, I tend to stay with the classical um, number. All the temples in India uh, show Navagraha. Unless that's not true anymore, Ben. You, oh, no, no, it's, it's very true. <laughs> okay. That's always nine. Okay, it's <laughs> so glad to hear that. And of course, there's controversy, you know, even over Pluto, whether it's a planet or not, but I'm not going to get into that now. So when we look at a chart, one of the first things that you should get in the habit of doing is making sure there are nine. <laughs> and as many yes, times when right. I've taught and I've, you know, put up a chart and watched the same with my teacher, somebody gets left out. So we always want to make sure that all nine are there. So how do they get in the various places that they are distributed in? Well, I suppose most of you out there uh, already have a sense of how, but I think, you know, some sort of orderly explanation of this is a good idea. There are tools uh, based on what astrology and astronomy has been based on since time immemorial, direct observation, as our observation powers have gotten extended by the use of tools like telescopes, etc., our accuracy uh, perhaps has gotten, has improved, although it's very striking. I've read several articles about how modern uh, Western astronomy is verifying uh, the unbelievably accurate 
um, calculations from the Siddhantas and the treatises of Jyotisha from thousands of years ago, how could they have measured so accurately the distances? It's mind-boggling. So, um, however, for us, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to get out there and observe the sky as if most of us could with city lights, right. etc., right. and uh, and track the motion of the grahas through the constellations. Because really, in order to map accurately, if we want to place the moon in someone's uh, chart to understand all the functions of the moon and what it's going to bring forward in its role in the play, we have to know where the moon is. Not only on a particular day, but a particular hour, a particular minute sometimes will make a difference, could shift where the moon might be in a chart. And you notice I've gone directly to the moon because it is our observation that the moon is the fastest moving of all planets. Uh, In fact, moves through... Uh, a uh, a Rashi sign in about two and a half days. So that kind of whips through and, and really, um, on average, around 30 minutes, a half a degree per hour is how quickly the moon moves. Mm-hmm. So that is extremely, uh, fast moving. And in order to be accurate in where the moon gets placed, um, you do have to start to, um, you know, use the tools and then you have to do a little uh, interpolation and, you know, various mathematical functions to tie it down. That's why we like computers. It makes it very easy. But computers for calculation is wonderful, but we also need to understand what's behind the calculation. And that's kind of my purpose today. It's not to make us experts, but to understand, uh, relatively speaking, what's going on. Okay, Mm -hmm. so although I kind of jumped to the moon, I will actually come back to it. We should start with the majesty of the sun when we want to think about the uh, movement of the Navagrahas through the constellations and then the repercussions of that for mapping them directly into uh, the horoscope. So we start with the sun logically. (laughs) We tend to go in order of the days of the week when we talk about the grahas Mm -hmm. and so starting with sun sunday now one of the interesting things about this conversation today um is that even this conversation sounding like a kind of technical thing winds up providing information about the meaning of that graha the the nature of that graha and how it will impact the destiny pattern Something as, uh, we could even say mundane or majestic as its movement. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what's fascinating about the sun is that, uh, the sun actually cr- is the creator of the, what we call the ecliptic, the apparent path of the sun around the earth. Now I'm saying apparent because the sun doesn't move around the earth. It's the Earth that moves around the Sun. Right. And really, literally speaking, the ecliptic is the tracing of the of the plane of the Earth's revolution around the Sun uh, as projected on the celestial sphere. But that isn't our perception. Our perception is we see the Sun tracing the circle, okay, as it moves through those 12 um, uh, constellations, creating, in a sense, the wheel of the zodiac. And because the sun actually defines the ecliptic, it's, we can think of it like the center of a running track, okay, or a race track. Mm-hmm. And the sun would be the, the very center of that race track. And it doesn't vary. It goes along that track. Day after day, we see the sun rise. We talked about that before. And month after month, we watch the sun very, very reliably going through the same um, track. And so it isn't um, surprising that when we think of the Kataka nature of the sun, it's fixed, it's steady, it's reliable. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. And that's why I think learning the 
having appreciation for the calculations and the nature of the planets is a big fundamental step towards understanding how they behave in a person's chart. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, the, 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 in fact, we depend on the sun for that steadiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much does the sun move uh, in a day? The sun moves, its daily motion is one degree. And it's uh, it takes it, therefore, about 30 days to move through a constellation, since a constellation is 30 degrees. Now, the sun does very, very slightly from that. So it will, uh, it will sometimes appear to go 61 uh, minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes 57 minutes. Uh, but that is the extent of the variation. And, and we'll find that that's uh, the least variation among all of the grahas. You know, that just within a, a couple of minutes, the sun will, uh, uh, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. so this is why we get this concept of steady. So 30, so it takes um, essentially a month for the sun to move through uh, a constellation. And that's kind of our setup, right? Right. Uh, for our calendar, etc. Okay, so um, we have discussed the idea of uh, precession, you know, that we use a different uh, measure for uh, Jyotisha in terms of figuring where grahas are. We're using the sidereal zodiac as opposed to the tropical zodiac. And when we look at the sun's egress uh, entry into uh, the constellations, it generally changes or or has its sankranti, its ingress, into a new constellation around mid-month, around the 15th, 16th of the month. And so you could even, um, knowing what day of the month it is, have an idea of how many degrees the sun is. And that's a kind of nice little mental practice. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right, absolutely. Yeah, and, and in fact, if you get kind of good at tracking the planets, and I'm going to um, have a little suggestion uh, for everybody, you know, we are always talking about Graha Shanti mm-hmm. and doing it in terms of, uh, of ritual or mantra, but you can do your own Graha Shanti in terms of kind of um, a practice of getting to know the grahas, becoming intimate with them and how they move. Now I'm going to suggest that to everybody uh, at the end with a few little um, uh, instructions of what they can do, mm-hmm. especially if they're interested in this kind of thing. May not be, maybe, um, but I'll give some suggestion. Okay, um, Let's look at the moon. I'm actually going to um, vary from the days of the week. Uh, I'm probably going to talk in terms of speed. Um, now, the sun is, is fairly easy to uh, figure out where it is just from the information I've given you. The moon um, may require to be accurate uh, the use of tools. And the primary tool in determining where Agraha is on a particular day is a compilation work uh, that's put out year by year um, to help uh, astronomers, astrologers, priests, um, farmers, <laughs> whatever. Right. Uh, and the document in India is called the Panchanga. Um, because... It may represent um, a kind of cultural leap uh, for Westerners. Today, in, uh, with the topic I have today, I am not going to discuss the Panchanga. It's a big topic in and of itself. So I'm going to talk in terms of um, an ephemeris. So an ephemeris is basically uh, astronomical data that tells you exactly what constellation and degree uh, a planet could be found at. And the ephemeris will announce what their reference point is. So an ephemeris that I use that um, unfortunately is now not in print anymore uh, is the Betts ephemeris. 
and it's a midnight ephemeris. So that means that uh, all the planetary positions that are in here are uh, are figured midnight at Greenwich Mean Time. And it's a sidereal ephemeris. That's why I like it. It's not tropical. Right. So there are some... Uh, you can get an ephemeris that's tropical, but then you have to make a correction if you're interested in uh, a Jyotish chart. Most Jyotish programs have built-in ephemeris. And I'm in the habit of every month printing out the uh, the data for the month, you know, so that I just simply have that and know on any particular day, you know, I have a practice in the morning where I, and actually a friend of mine also has this practice. Uh, I love to go to her house. She has a whiteboard. She has a chart up. She has the data for the day. She knows exactly what's happening uh, every day, and that's part of this practice that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So you can either purchase an ephemeris, or, or if you happen to have a Jyotish program, and I'm sure there are places on the web that you can uh, run out where the planets are in any particular day. So for a quick, for the quick moving planets, um, it becomes more important um, to track them more exactly. So in fact, the moon, uh, as I mentioned, is the fastest moving of the grahas, moving about. Um, uh, a sign every two and a half days. And uh, it actually does have some variation in how uh, fast it goes. It generally covers 13 degrees, 20 minutes. Fam- familiar um, to some of you out there, that's the span of a nakshatra. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have yet to talk about nakshatras, but for those of you that are into that, uh, a moon um, uh, on average covers 13 degrees 20 per day but this is much more this is more variable uh the moon can kind of move along and go as quickly as around 15 degrees a day and it can kind of hang back a a, a little below 11 i'm sorry below 12 degrees so 12 degrees even slightly below um you could see the moon slowing to that amount okay mm-hmm. so much bigger span than the sun. Today, for example, where are we? Today is today the 10th? Yes. So the moon um, in the uh, ephemeris that I print out for my computer is about 14 degrees 41 of Pisces today. And tomorrow it would be 27 degrees 26 Pisces. So you guys can do the calculation and see how quickly the moon will move from today to tomorrow. And you'll see it's in that range that I've given you. All right. Then um, the next quickest planet on average, (laughs) and this is going to uh, change dramatically uh, according to where it is in its... um, in its uh, orbit, um, or its cycle, I should say. Uh, But on average, the next quickest graha would be Mercury. Now, Mercury and Venus, uh, I kind of lump them together um, for for these particular remarks, have a very interesting um, relationship um, to Earth and Sun. They're inner planets. Their orbit is within the orbit of the Earth, which makes for um, a very different set of astronomical observation than what we call the outer planets or grahas of Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn that are outside the orbit of the Earth. So although they're parallel phenomena, um the observation is going to vary because of this difference of being um, inside the orbit of the Earth and outside the orbit of the Earth. Hopefully this will become a little bit um, clearer. Astronomy uses a term, uh, of it's called elongation. So that refers to the angle between the sun and a planet as viewed from the Earth. So when we look to Mercury, when we observe Mercury from planet Earth, 
it's going to have a, a tight relationship to the sun. It's not going to be able to wander too far from the sun. So its greatest um, elongation is going to be around uh, 28 degrees. So in other words, uh, in a particular chart, Mercury is not going to be able to be 20, more than 28 degrees from the sun. So if you're looking at an astrological chart and you see the sun in Pisces and Mercury in Gemini, mm -hmm. there's something seriously wrong <laughs> <laughs> for a birth chart. Now, right. there are things called divisional charts, and uh, that no longer represents the observable sky. It's a kind of model. Uh, but when we're actually looking at the birth chart, which is a cosmic map, something that I've been emphasizing from the beginning, then Mercury can only be either in the same Baba as the Sun, which means in the same Rashi, or in the Baba before or the Baba after. So 28 degrees, they call this elongation. Um, Mercury is a Graha that... Uh, changes its speed all the time because it will go from a direct motion to a retrograde motion to a direct motion um, several times a year, as many as three times a year. And we haven't really discussed retrograde motion. This is a big topic as well. But retrogression is an artifact of observation. It isn't really real. It has to do with the fact that when bodies um, pass each other and they have different speeds, we get this phenomena of as you catch up, as the faster moving one catches up, it looks like the other is slowing down and then at a standstill, and then actually looks for a while like it's going backwards. Right. So that's it's kind of the train phenomena. Sure. And so uh, we so this retrograde cycle of Mercury causes it to appear from observation on planet Earth as if it's slowing up, even standing still for a day, mm -hmm. and then going backwards. And when it, when it changes from this apparent forward to apparent backward motion, it's at its slowest. And then it picks up speed. And then it slows down again. So although Mercury can be moving very quickly, um, its maximum forward motion is about 2 degrees. Its average motion is about 1 degree 15. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it can, its motion can be zero. <laughs> it can appear not to move at all. Sure. So there's huge variability in Mercury. Okay. And, uh, the fact that it can be very quick and then it can change and then it can be slow, then it can change. This also gives us, you know, this variability is also built into some of Mercury's, uh, Kataka nature. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, sure. Okay. So uh, it takes Mercury, if we, if we take its average uh, degree of uh, uh, movement, uh, rate of movement, about 22 days or so to get through a Rashi. Mm -hmm. So that's its, its um, average speed. Okay? So I guess it's a little feeling for that. And to cover the whole, when it does do its retrograde dance, to to get that all done usually takes around um, 24 days. So because it does this three times a year, th this is why we get this uh, tremendous variability in uh, in uh, Mercury's speed. Okay, and it's fun to track Mercury for that reason, you know, because we get lots of action. In terms of, oh look, oh look, it's really going fast. Wow, boy, it's only moving two minutes today. Yeah. You know, so you get a lot of. Uh, it's kind of satisfying to track Mercury. You, you get to know it. Um, Venus, on the other hand, is very infrequent 
uh, retrogression. It has a retrograde cycle every other year. So that's a huge difference. Venus has a very complicated um, orbit. It traces a very complicated pattern. Um, and way too complicated to go into today. So all I'm going to say about it is that it's average daily motion is about a degree a day, kind of very similar to the sun. Mm-hmm. And it will move through Arashi um, about uh, 26 days to cover on uh, on average. And it can go forward. Its maximum forward motion um, is about uh, a degree 20 uh, in a day. You know, it's as fast as it will tend to go. Right. Um, so that's the, and again, it's an inferior planet, and therefore it can't travel more than about 45 to 47 degrees away from the sun. Mm. Uh, so as we observe Venus, it's not going to track further than that from the sun. So uh, Mercury and Venus kind of get lumped together in, uh, in this particular phenomena of having this um, confinement. And so in a chart, we are going to see this as well, that they're not going to be more than their, that maximum distance. When they're far from the sun or when they achieve a certain distance from the sun, that's also when they're visible. Um, so we see them either as the uh, morning star, and Venus the more visible because it's the furthest, um, we see it uh, visible before sunrise. So very often Venus is twinkling, you know, right. very beautiful on the eastern horizon. Uh, and that uh, sunrise position is when Venus is at its greatest eastern distance from the, from the sun. And then sometimes we see it as the evening star. So that's when the sun sets first and Venus is behind it. So that's its greatest western distance from the sun. Then we see Venus as the evening star. Mercury, we could see in the same way, but because it's tighter to the sun, it isn't as easily visible. It doesn't stay visible as long as Venus does. Mm-hmm. So is it important in a chart if Venus is bright and beautiful and visible? In the, in the uh, parlance of uh, now a very famous um, woman in politics, you betcha. all of these uh, questions of visibility play very strongly into interpretation if Venus is very bright very visible then it's going to impart its uh, its role it's going to be a strong actress really you know spinning out those lines and what Venus stands for will be very visible Mm -hmm. in the person's life and this is why uh, the interpretations start from how the natural sky looks. That's why I'm kind of going into this. I'm not only going into the speeds, but also this question of visibility, non-visible. Okay? Right, right. Because so, that adds. But the speed also adds interpretation. If a graha is moving very quickly, that gives a certain feeling to how it's going to act in a chart as well. So these are all very... Um, striking things to uh, understand and learn. Subtle, but important. Right. Okay. So now let's move to um, Mars. Mars would be the, the next um, planet in the, in the uh, quick to slow uh, continuum. So Mars moves um, an average daily of 32 minutes. And it will tend to cover Arashi in about 57 days or so. Um, It's going to um, uh, move forward the quickest would be about 45 minutes. Now, the interesting thing about Mars is that it has the most irregularity in terms of its um, retrogression cycle. So it can um, hang in a in a sign in a Rashi for as much as six months, mm. and in fact, 
we have that coming up uh, very shortly. And unfortunately, the sign that Mars has decided to hang out in um, for six plus months, actually, is its debilitation Rashi of Cancer. Mm. So starting October 6th of this year, 2009, Mars is going to move into Cancer, and it's going to um, stay there until May 27th of 2010. So that's a long time. Right. Because, again, the average is about 57 days. So compare that to that span of several months. When uh, Mars does that, <laughs> it, it generally means it's, it's uh, retrograding, you know, through that sign. Mm-hmm. And it will have a lot of impact. So for, uh, you know, for people who are listening, if Mars is a player uh, in their chart, because it happens to be on the center of the stage, mm-hmm. um, there will be impact in terms of this um, transit through cancer for that long. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, next is Jupiter. It's clear so far, Ben? Oh, sure. This is great. Okay. All right. The next is the giant Jupiter. So Jupiter moves only uh, five minutes a day. And it takes Jupiter about a year to move through Arashi. Sometimes <laughs> that giant can really get moving, can move as much as uh, around 14 minutes a day. So that's almost three times its average motion. Mm. And once again, you know, there's a sense of, um, you know, if something moves much faster than it normally moves, you know, that gives a kind of sense of, of, of hurry, or, you know, or urgency or even instability. So all of these things play in um, to chart interpretation. I think people don't think in these terms, and it's very important. Uh, Jupiter also has a retrogration cycle. I actually failed to mention sun and moon obviously never retrograde. The right. only grahas that are retrograde are uh, what we call the Tadagrahas, the, the, the true planets that are orbiting the sun. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones that have a retrograde cycle. So uh, Jupiter's retrograde cycle um, takes a long time, takes about 120 days. I didn't mention Mars. Mars's retrograde cycle, unless it does this thing about being in a, in a, a very irregular uh, retrograde cycle where it can be six months, but normally its uh, retrograde cycle is about 75 days. Mm. So Mercury about 24 days, uh, Venus about 45 days when it does go retrograde, and Mars about 75 days. And then Jupiter is much more uh, regular. Its retrograde cycle lasts a long time, 120 days. Uh, and Retrogression is something that I'm going to discuss more in my next podcast when I talk about planetary strength and weakness. There is a huge, huge gap between how classical Jyotish and Western astrology views the meaning of retrograde planets. You know, for uh, for the purposes of Jyotisha, why Jupiter is retrograde or appears retrograde is because it's on the same side of the sun as the Earth is. In other words, the Earth is in between Jupiter and the sun. Mm-hmm. And as the Earth is uh, is moving in its orbit, Jupiter is moving in its orbit, if they're on the same side, the Earth is obviously moving faster than Jupiter. It has mm-hmm. a quicker orbit than Jupiter. And therefore, it's the railroad train thing that I'm talking about. Jupiter is the train further ahead, the Earth is the quicker moving, the express train, right? Right. Catching up. And as it catches up, it seems like Jupiter's slowing down. That's what it seems like. And as it's right with it, it seems like Jupiter's standing still. And then it looks seems like Jupiter's moving backwards. And, and then when the Earth finally passes Jupiter entirely, gains some distance on it, looks like Jupiter now is slowly 
turned around and is coming and moving in the same direction again. So that's the phenomenon of retrogression. What is important about that is when it's maximum retrogression, when the sun is, uh, sorry, when the earth is right with Jupiter in between it and the sun, so Jupiter's right opposite the sun with respect to earth, then it's as close to the earth as it will be in its orbit, which means it will be very bright, very, very bright. Sure. That becomes the more important um, feature in terms of impact on the chart. And again, this I will talk about more next podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a 120-day retrograde cycle. Um, and Jupiter, the gentle giant, moves only five minutes a day on average. And so once you know where Jupiter is, you can kind of figure out how long it's going to take <laughs> to get to... <laughs> <laughs> so this is why I say that um, you pretty much can figure out where the sun is. If you kind of know your nakshatras, you can kind of figure out where the moon is. Jupiter, you can know, and as we'll see, Saturn, we can know. And so you can find out, you know, mentally uh, when a person tells you um, when they're born and about what time they're born, you can construct the rudiments of a chart even mentally. Mm -hmm. And that's a very good practice to do. All right, we're almost there. Um, Saturn is the slowest moving of all the uh, the grahas. I will get to Rahu Ketu, but uh, of all the, the Taragrahas, the true grahas, mm -hmm. it moves to very slow, relaxed, two minutes a day. So less than half the speed of Jupiter. Two minutes Com uh, compared to Mercury's fastest forward motion of two degrees. That's <laughs> a very big difference. Yeah. Now, sometimes even Saturn can chug along and it can move as quickly as eight degrees, or sorry, eight minutes forward, so four times its um, natural motion. Mm -hmm. Saturn also goes retrograde, um, and that's about 140. Uh, days that it's retrograde, it's a long retrograde cycle. Mm -hmm. And it takes Saturn two and a half years to move through Arashi. Mm. And so Saturn, you know, they say that Saturn represents Kala. It's the Kala Graha, the Graha that marks time. Mm. And it's as if it marks off our lifetime in two and a half year chunks. And, of course, um, there's a famous transit of Saturn when it's two and a half, uh, I'm sorry, when it's um, in a Rashi before the moon for two and a half years, when it's in the same Rashi as the moon for two and a half years, and when it's in the Rashi after the moon, two and a half years, seven and a half years. So in India you hear, oh, are you in your seven and a half years? Right. It has a it has a, a famous name, Hindi name, Sadhe Sati, it's called. And it's the seven and a half year um, transit of Saturn over the moon. Now mm -hmm. you guys know why. Because it takes Saturn two and a half years to go through each of those Rashis. That's also the subject for another whole uh, day, that particular fascinating transit. So oh, sure. the slowest moving, the slowest moving, and so Saturn gets all kinds of significations uh, from that particular uh, kind of movement, and because it's the it moves the slowest because it's the furthest from the sun, and so we get lots of significations for that reason. It's cold, <laughs> uh, it's dark, you know, even its description. Sure. Uh, all of these things are reflections of the astronomical reality. Okay, so we can, with this information, um, start to ascribe meaning, but we also can wind up doing our mapping. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned today, uh, the moon is in Pisces, we talked about. The sun is about um, 24 degrees uh, of cancer today. Mm -hmm. So where are we? What's our date? 10th. The 10th. And so we're moving towards that um, 16, 15, 16, uh, middle of the month, where the sun will change 
um, into Leo. So it actually, uh, in this particular um, uh, Greenwich Mean Time um, ephemeris, it's changing on the 17th. Correct. It will be zero degrees 45 actually at midnight, zero degrees 45. So it really would have changed on the 16th. Um, so that shows that you can kind of figure where the sun is on a daily basis. That's pretty exciting, I think. That's very cool. And then if we were to uh, map the chart of someone born today, we would find that uh, Mars uh, is in the sign of um, Taurus today, about 26 degrees uh, 08 of Taurus. And if Mars is moving at its normal speed of about um, 32 minutes uh, normal speed, then we can figure how long it will take for Mars to change signs. Probably moving a little bit faster now, probably more like 41 or uh, 40. I have to look back on my charts. But this is kind of, uh, sort of fun to do, and then you can kind of build your own charts day after day once you get to know these speeds. Sure. Uh, today, um, Mercury is about 17 degrees 43 Leo, and... Jupiter is um, in Capricorn retrograde. So Jupiter is in retrograde motion today. 28 degrees, 37 Capricorn had been in Aquarius and is now moving backwards into Capricorn. Venus is also in, um, or not also, it's in Gemini today, 1659. And Saturn's at 26 degrees, 23 Leo. So Saturn will be changing signs. And if you notice Saturn's motion these days, I'm looking tomorrow, it's going to be 26 degrees 30, Leo, seven minutes. That means Saturn is zooming for Saturn mm -hmm. through the Rashi of Leo uh, on its way to meet its date, and its date of a very um, major change into the sign of Virgo on the 9th of September. So it's going almost four times its, its normal speed, and that means something in someone's chart. So finally, we have the great shadows, Rahu Ketu. And like everything else about them, uh, even their motion is contrary and different and eccentric. Many computer programs uh, indicate that Rahu Ketu are retrograde, uh, one in particular uh, that I'm thinking of that I use a lot. It's kind of a misnomer because retrogression uh, really it really uh, refers to this cycle that I'm talking about with the planets that orbit the sun, and then you know this phenomena of um, of their relative speeds uh, with respect to Earth, and then this this um, uh, artifact of observation of their apparently looking like they're going backwards. Rahu Ketu, in fact, always move um, in uh, a backwards direction. That's their normal. That is their motion. Right. So applying the term retrogression to them is it actually is not really correct. That's just them. <laughs> That's how yeah. they move. Right. And they are very steady. They move about uh, about three minutes a day in that um, backwards motion. So they, too, are getting ready to change signs. We have a very uh, interesting um, uh, transiting phenomena coming up uh, in the fall. We have uh, Rahu Ketu uh, changing their constellation, uh, coming into Sagittarius and uh, Gemini in early November. Mm -hmm. We have Saturn doing its two-and-a-half-year change in September, and then Jupiter will do its, its one-year change uh, just before Christmas, around the 20th. So we're going to have a big shift, yeah. you know, a big shift. We'll all be very happy when Jupiter moves out of Capricorn, its sign of debilitation, and moves away from Rahu uh, when they separate, uh, because it's been a, um, a difficult combination, and hopefully things will lighten up. We sure need it to. I was going to say, not to mention Saturn moving out of Leo, because it's very, very yes. much the opposite of the sun as well. Yes, yes, good point. 
It's not only that it's moving into a new sign, it's moving into a constellation of a graha that welcomes it more because in the, in the planetary society, uh, Mercury and Saturn are friends, whereas the Sun and um, Saturn have, uh, Saturn's the son of the Sun, and they have the normal uh, crisis of, of father and son. Because <laughs> in right. this case, father and son are very different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so that uh, tells us a little bit now, I think, about the motions and how we map um, the grahas uh, basically is we get a hold of um, either uh, ephemeris, ephemeris from a computer program or um, an actual volume that we have in our possession. Mm-hmm. And day by day, we can uh, look at where these grahas are and where they will be the next day. Here's the sort of practice part. So how many degrees is it that day? How many degrees is it the next day? And then subtract and find out how long, you know, how many, how many degrees it's going to travel. And then do it, continue to track that and watch for yourselves how they vary in their speeds. And in their mm-hmm. motions, and when they turn around and go direct, and when they uh, go retrograde, and what that does to the speed, and in that way, you will start to develop a relationship with that graha. You could see each day what star is the moon in, what nakshatra is the moon in, what Rashi. When is the sun changing Rashis? When is Mars changing Rashis? All of these things have tremendous impact, not only on the chart of someone born that day, but we can do a daily chart. It's called the, the Gochara chart. It's called the transit chart. And although it's not our birth chart, the positions of these grahas on a daily basis do um, re-stimulate. They have a relationship with the grahas in our natal positions. And it's kind of like I always describe this to people as a peanut butter sandwich. We have our natal chart, that's one piece of bread. We have the planet on the center of the stage, known as the dasha, which is, again, another discussion. That's the peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And then we have the ongoing movement of the grahas, that's the second slice of bread. And when you have a, a, a confluence among those three things, if there's a natal trigger and the planet that's uh, involved in that natal trigger is active, Uh, on the center of the stage, and then there's a transit that involves that needle trigger, then we've got the sandwich of a prediction. (laughs) We have the, we have our, we have our dinner. We have our, our, uh, tangible, um, proof that we can say something that will have a three-way likelihood, uh, three-way support of occurring in someone's life. So understanding this motion of, of grahas, understanding how to put them into a chart, whether it's the natal chart or mm-hmm. the chart of the moment or the sunrise chart of the day, mm-hmm. becomes uh, a very important tool uh, in this tradition of Jyotish. So one last question, Penny. Um, you were giving some positions for various uh, planets, and I was wondering... Uh, you know, on, on what basis that was being uh, calculated, because uh, it will be different. The sun will rise at a different time in England compared to California, for example. Oh, actually, I'm really glad you brought that up, because I had mentioned that, um, you know, I use the Betz ephemeris for a reference, this um, a midnight ephemeris. But actually, the, all the planetary positions that I was reading out, I mentioned this practice that I think it's really nice for people to do. And I run out a monthly, I did say this, uh, a monthly um, uh, ephemeris, we could say, um, you know, that I use as a reference. And I happen to use 6 o'clock in the morning for Northern California, for Fairfax, California, where I live. Okay. Uh, I, I, I like to take the position of the grahas at, at 6 o'clock in the morning at around sunrise because I also use this to calculate other things. You know, the, the nakshatra of the day is the nakshatra that's there at sunrise. 
and the the uh, tithi of the day is the sunrise tithi. So instead of using the referring to the midnight ephemeris that I also use as a reference book, what I was reading out were the six o'clock in the morning Fairfax, California positions. So that isn't going to be the same, yeah, as the as what's in the ephemeris. So I don't want people to get confused about that. What's important is um, in order to do the, the the daily motions to be consistent. If I'm using six o'clock in the morning today, then in order to figure out how fast the sun moved, I need to look at six o'clock in the morning tomorrow. Where is its position? In order to get the the relative speed, that's what I use this for. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, in terms of actually calculating a chart, that's even more complex because if a person's born at ten o'clock in the morning and you're using a midnight ephemeris, then you have to be able to account for w- the speed of the planet. So you have to do the same idea of of, uh, of how many hours the, has the planet moved. Um, beyond midnight, or how far has the planet moved beyond uh, its midnight position. That's why computers are nice, because it takes a long time to do that. Computers uh, are a fabulous tool if you already understand the uh, astronomy and astrological principles that have gone into the computer calculations. Once you can do that a few times and understand it, then it becomes a wonderful time saver. But if you only do that, never understanding some of these other considerations, then you've lost a certain amount of the of the magic that needs to get infused into your brain. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so there's always this balance of of a certain degree of understanding and practice in the ways that it was always done. And then once you've got that then all of these tools are wonderful. You know, it makes us able to do a lot more um, astrological counseling and work. If the routine calculations, the ones that don't really um, uh, stimulate us to have greater understanding um, of that particular person, if the, the routine calculations involving the calculating the rising sign and calculating exactly where the grahas are, um, that is very well served uh, by computers once there is an understanding. So I think that I'm so glad you brought that up because people may be looking uh, and then seeing, well, why is she saying it's in that position when you know I'm looking and it's it's different. So thanks, Ben, for clarifying <laughs> that. All right, no problem. Thank you. All right, so uh, well, we'll talk to you next week. Okay.